Product managers give 100% of themselves to their customers. But who's there for the PM? The Product Management Center at the University of Washington. It's a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. I'm Jeff Schulman, founding director of the Product Management Center and your host on this show, How to Succeed in Product Management. Each week, I'm joined by my co-host, Red, and some of the best product managers in the business. Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show. Welcome, everybody. My name is Jeff Schulman, and I am a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business and the founding director of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. The Product Management Center is a global hub for knowledge, community, and impact. Basically, we're taking and leveraging the interdisciplinary faculty we have here, the amazing students and alumni, and the fantastic connections to some of the most innovative product managers in the world. And we are opening up access to everyone and our effort to enrich the lives of diverse product managers and to help diverse product managers to empower them to enrich the lives of diverse audiences. And we've got a lot of great things we're doing. And I'm joined by two advisory board members. And I'm joined by two fantastic product leaders, product managers from Women in Product, the Seattle chapter. Today is a very special episode where we have partnered with a fantastic organization that shares a lot of our values and goals, Women in Product. And we are going to talk today about collaboration. So a collaboration among the Product Management Center and uh, Women in Product is going to talk about collaborating with other disciplines, other roles. And so I've spoken a mouthful, and it's time to kick it over to Sumeya, who is here every single week. Two questions for you, Sumeya. Let's dive straight into why Women in Product? Why are we collaborating with them? What's so great about Women in Product? And two... Why is collaborating with other disciplines a topic that's important to aspiring and current product managers? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeff. And good to see you all. Welcome to the Week in Product and how to succeed in product management. Two very good questions. Women in product, I think it's no secret that diversity in the tech world needs a lot of improvement. It's actually true in other industries as well, but I think we can focus on tech for some time. And increasing representation, increasing participation, increasing access, improving inclusion, all these are important topics to creating not only diverse teams, but the kind of opportunities we want to have for the next generation of product managers. So as someone who has been in this world for a couple of decades, I see this as a responsibility that not only benefits myself, but benefits everyone coming in the future. And women in products, the work they do, everything from teaching, learning, building community, support, mentoring is really meaningful to that effort. So I'm a big fan and always happy to have women in products be part of these conversations. And then the second part around collaboration, I think, you know, 90% of the work that gets done for a product is done by people who are not the product managers. And so collaboration, influence is really the name of the game. You cannot succeed as a product manager without collaboration, period, unless you're a team of one and that's rare (laughs) or that's pointless. So I'm excited about this topic, Jeff. Back to you. 
And we could hear that through the voice and through the noise there in California. You said where you are today. So thank you, Sumeya, as always. We skipped through the about her journey and product because you've heard that week after week. She's here sharing insights. So if you want to hear who you're listening to, quickly go back to one of the other episodes of How to Succeed in Product Management. Speaking of previous episodes of How to Succeed in Product Management, Kavita Kamani, who is a founding advisory board member for the Product Management Center, hugely involved in women in product, and is a guest on the second most popular of all time, How to Succeed in Product Management podcast. Kavita, can you share a little bit about your journey to remind us your journey in product? Yeah, let's stop there for a second. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. And thanks, Gitikan and uh, Angela, also for having me. I work at Microsoft. I'm a partner director of PM, and I run the supply chain engineering global PM team. My team delivers all of the tools that power the devices in Azure supply chains. I've been at Microsoft a really long time, and I've worked in consumer and enterprise products in my time here. And some of the products that you might know I've worked on are Link and Skype for Business and Microsoft Teams and OneDrive and SharePoint. And now my role is very different in that my customers are the supply chain operations folks. I have been involved in women product in the early days and I took a break from them while I was leading some women initiatives within Microsoft, but I'm happy to be collaborating with them and back with Jeff again on the show. All right. Thank you for all you do for the Product Management Center at the University of Washington and the product management community in general. It's awesome to have you here. Gitika, I want to turn to you to tell us a little bit about your journey in product. And then I'm hoping you could dive right into our topic of the day and share a little bit about some of the other disciplines that you've worked with as you've been a PM at different companies. Definitely. Thank you, Jeff. So I'm Geetika Kapoor and I'm a product manager at Microsoft. I work on this product called Teams that you might have heard of. And I am working on the iOS and Android applications that Teams Mobile has. And it's a very exciting product to be in. And I'm truly grateful to be where I am right now. And how I got here, I was one of the lucky, I would like to say, uh, lucky people who figured out they wanted to do product right when they were in college. It was uh, still a difficult decision, I think, just figuring out what you want to do. I did computer science in college, and then I did a couple of internships in software development. And I thought, okay, this is great, but I want to do something different, something slightly related, but still different in a way where I can see the big picture of what's happening. I can actually connect with people that I'm impacting through my product. And that's how I found out about product management. It was through a mentor. And I started following him around a lot. I was interning at Microsoft at that, at that time. And I said, I really like what you're doing and I want to do that. So he said, okay, you know what? Next year, when you come back, you can come back as a PM intern. And I did that. And that's how I got into product. And I came back full-time with my Microsoft and I first worked in on a technical product side on a backend product. Um, it was the data platform for Office 365. And then I switched to more of an enterprise product management within Teams. So that's how I got here. And for women in product, I've been involved with the Seattle chapter for about two years now. And it's been a great journey for me. Lots of great women to have worked with in our Seattle community. And we've been able to help a lot of other people network within Seattle as well. And I'm, uh, I'm also uh, the current Seattle chapter lead. I do want to talk a little bit about uh, women in product as well. It's a 
global community that empowers women with the opportunities to collaborate and resources for advancements. We have over 27 chapters worldwide with more than 33,000 community members. So if you're not a member yet and you'd like to be, please go to womenpm.org and uh, join us. And going back to your question, Jeff, what other disciplines that I, what are the disciplines that I work with? There's quite a lot, actually. And I really like what uh, Samia said, that 90% of what PMs do actually is done by other people, right? And we are kind of the people who are coordinating, running this circus, I, I like to say. It's almost, um, and you just kind of making sure that everything lines up perfectly to deliver that product or feature to your customer. And there's so many people that you shake hands with throughout the process, right? There can be your engineering, obviously, is one role that you work with very closely. Design, if especially uh, for me, I'm on a UX-based product, so I work a lot with designers, with uh, UX researchers. I work a lot with those people. And then copywriters, even every word that you put in on our mobile phone app, you have to make sure that it speaks to the speaks to what you want to say. And so we work with very talented people who are amazing with words, essentially. You work a lot with marketing to make sure that people, uh, your target audience actually understands what you're delivering and the value of that. And there's just so many other roles. I'm actually thinking about that. Uh, some other PMs, depending on your where you are, right? You might work with business administration. You might work with supply chain. Kavita can tell you all about that. You might work with uh, customers too. Uh, that's another thing that sometimes you, you might forget that even when you're iterating through your product or your feature, you actually work very closely with some of your customers to get feedback and their opinions on what needs to be solved. So definitely there's a lot of disciplines uh, that you work with. Oh, I just wanted to add a few more. I think, you know, when I've worked, I've worked in products around security and compliance. Legal is another discipline that I would go work with. You know, typically work with finance on things like budgets and getting proposals off the ground. You might work with third-party partners. So when I worked on on teams before Gitiga did, you know, we I used to work on the meetings piece of teams. And a big part of that is what's the hardware that powers the conference rooms. And so we used to work with third-party partners. You work with data science folks, um, and analytics folks, right? So there is, you know, plus one to everything Gitika said. And there is, depending on what product you're building and what you you would be working with a lot of different disciplines. And I think the key thing is really how you are with relationships and collaboration and how you are with communication. I think those are your two keys to success as a PM working with all these disciplines. All right. Thank you. And then Angela, welcome. Tell us a little bit about your journey in product. And then let's head to another question, which is of all those different disciplines and uh, job roles that you interact with and try to get aligned towards a common purpose. Tell us a little bit about what types of conflict can occur. So tell us about yourself and the types of conflict that can occur as you interact with other disciplines. Sure. Pleased to be here, Jeff. Thanks so much. I think my journey couldn't be more diametrically posed to Gatika's, actually. I came to product through a circuitous route. I started as a civil engineer. I also had a degree in literature. Eventually, I got a master's degree in sociology, and I made my way into product in actually through government, where I worked on policy and government. And and I started also working on products in government, so G to C, so government to customer, and also some enterprise product in government. Eventually, I made it into more traditional tech. I 
was recently at Best Buy, working on the Best Buy consumer app in augmented reality and e-com. And now I'm a senior product manager at Zillow, working on the Zillow app, so in real estate. Before I jump into actually the question about conflict, I, I just want to go back to what Kavita and Gatika were saying. With respect to all these disciplines, there's something that, that a PM works with, there's something implied in there um, that wasn't really explicit, which is a PM has to come at all these disciplines with a lot of energy management. Given that you're working with 20, 30 other teams to get something done, you have to actually manage your own energy when you're working with them. And I think you also have to think about changing the way you work with people, depending on which discipline you're working with. So you might have more of a collegial relationships with some partners, with other partners, there may be more conflict because you have different priorities. Um, and so just, just sort of thinking about that as you're working with other disciplines, I think it can be really helpful. In terms of conflict, I think, you know, in, in my experience, a lot of the conflict has actually been directly with UX and sort of, frankly, fighting over how a product should look and feel in customers' hands. And I think the real conflict there, or the crux, really, of the conflict is knowing at the end of the day who is the final decision maker on a product. So is it the product manager or is it UX? Typically, it is the product manager. I think you also have to think about, you know, at the end of the day, when you have a conflict, thinking about, okay, what is going to be best for the customer? And also thinking about, you know, not caring who's right or who's wrong. So taking it away from you're right or I'm right, you're wrong, and sort of eliminating who's right, who's wrong, and making it more about the customer. And then I think you can also bring in other PMs to help make the call when there is a conflict like that. I think there are some other conflicts, which I think Kavita and Gatika can also speak to, which is, so I think there's two main conflicts. One is about the product. Another is a conflict when you're prioritizing features with managers of other disciplines. So you're working with UX, you're working with engineering, and you're trying to get resourcing for a specific feature. It can be difficult if you're not laddering up to the same OKRs or if you have resourcing constraints. All right. Thank you, Angela. Great to have you here. So now those in the audience, you've now met four fantastic product leaders, and we are talking about collaborating across disciplines. So if you have a question, we are recording this as a podcast, and How to Succeed in Product Management can be downloaded on every major podcasting app. So keep in mind that uh, if you have questions in the next 10 minutes, we will start having questions from you. So think about what you want to know from our four wonderful panelists as we celebrate women in product here today. Sumeya, I have a question for you. As we have these conflicts and we have kind of, sometimes there might be divergent opinions on what should be done. How do you maintain accountability? How do you maintain accountability and keep people moving, but also keep people accountable? That's a really good question. I think about a couple of things and then I'd love to hear from the others as well. One, as a principle for the whole team, whether you use you know, a balanced team approach or not, we all have shared responsibility for the success and failure of the project or product. And so that's something that's internal and in part of the culture and part of everything we do and not just words that we say. So that shows up 
an exhibited behavior in terms of how credit is given, how we share in the wins and we share in the learnings together. So that's the first point, number one. The second point, which is now accountability, accountability has two aspects to it. One is really clarity around expectations. So there shouldn't be any confusion around who is accountable and what the expectation is and all the parameters that make that responsibility what it is. Sometimes there is a time element, sometimes there is an effort element, sometimes there is a scope element, whatever that clarity is, make sure as a PM that you provide that to your team members, you provide that to your product team. So once you have those two elements, then the question of accountability is a question that the whole team participates in. It's not you, the PM, who's the taskmaster. It's all of us as a team expecting each one of us to deliver what we are responsible for individually or collectively, and being accountable for certain deliverables sometimes or certain activities. That's usually my approach to accountability. Yeah, I'd like to add there, I think, you know, whenever you're working in a team where you have a bunch of folks with diverse roles, one thing that's always worked for me is to use a framework like a RACI chart, right? RACI basically stands for who's responsible, who's accountable, who's consulted, and who's informed. And what I like to do is identify, you know, who are the key players and what are the roles that each of them is playing and who is the decision maker? Because a lot of times, you know, you when you get all these opinions, it's great, but you need to be very clear how you're going to make progress, what your milestones are going to be and who is accountable and who is the decision maker versus who needs to be informed or consulted in it. And I think that really helps. And so there's other frameworks like that available as well. And that typically helps whenever there is conflicts or lack of clarity when you're working with different roles. And so whose responsibility is it to create the RACI chart? Whose responsibility is it to determine whose responsibilities are what? I think anybody who kind of typically, if you have a project owner all up or what we call a contractor, a general contractor, so to say for, you know, key programs, they they typically take the lead and it's, you know, they might propose something as a first step. And the next step is obviously get alignment. And if you can't get alignment, then you get somebody more senior involved to go help disambiguate. But typically the person who's the overall project owner is the person who kind of takes a stab at it. But anybody can propose it because it's at the end of the day, it's all about driving clarity and making progress. All right. So Kavita gave us the framework, the RACI charts. Gitika, any frameworks that you've used for improving collaboration across the different disciplines involved in getting a product out there? Yeah, I also, before we move on from RACI, I did want to clarify that in case anyone in the audience is not familiar with that model. Essentially, it means R-A-C-I and it's literally R for responsible. So who is the person that who is responsible for performing the work? A is accountability. So who is the actual person who is accountable for the work or the decision being made? C, who are the people who are consulted while making that decision? And I is who are the people who are informed, right? And once you have this model, it can be really easy. It can also be something that you just do even in your own head just to get some clarity about uh, even if it's a small feature that you are leading or a small decision that you have to make, who is the one who's responsible? Who is the one who is accountable or consulted and informed? Whom do I need to consult? Whom do I need to inform? 
that can actually help you move forward with that. Uh, but th- like Kavita said, there can be a general contractor or uh, some other product manager or a project manager who builds this model as well. And apart from the RACI model, I think the biggest thing is actually having clarity, right? Uh, and driving that clarity. I think as a product manager, the biggest thing that we can add to any feature or product that's being built is driving that clarity because there'll be different roles that we work with. Like we mentioned, multiple disciplines, right? There's engineering, they have their own expertise, right? If you have any questions around technical implementation, those are the people you go to. Then design, use interaction, marketing, et cetera. All of these roles have their expertise. And the product expertise, I would say, is actually to drive this collaboration between these roles and that clarity. So what are some things that you can do to drive clarity? I think, first of all, would be right at the beginning of starting any project or a product, right? You establish what the goals are for what actually you want to do and why you're doing that, right? The whole four Ws, what, why, when, and then maybe an H, how as well. But that's where uh, engineering usually comes in as well. But driving this collective understanding of what the goals are, why we are doing this, why is this high priority, why is this something that we need to do in this quarter, in this semester, in this year even, right? That is the biggest thing that you can make sure to do to set yourself up for success. And as you go into the project while you're driving it, one of the things that you can do to make sure there is this accountability, there is this effective collaboration is to really make sure that people at any point during the project are still clear. Because sometimes I've noticed that with projects, they start off, everybody's on the same page, but things happen in the first few weeks or first few months, and then things kind of get lost, right, in translation or translation of requirements, right? Or it can be anything like that. And one thing that you can do as a product manager is to actually make sure that that clarity still remains throughout the length of that project. All right. Thank you. And Sumeya, favorite topic is frameworks. You are already ready to dive in. Sorry, I'll I'll get out of the way. Well, I actually have uh, just a a couple of tips around the RACI matrix that I want to share, both as lessons that I learned the hard way, number one. And number two, the RACI realistically is, is an artifact that was developed in the waterfall era. And so it has a lot of bloat in it. I don't actually recommend RACI for most product teams unless they've tried everything else and it didn't work. If you've tried everything and your team is still dysfunctional, it means fundamentally you have bigger issues that RACI will not fix. The reason I say that is taken to an extreme, the RACI matrix is the reason why you end up with team meetings that are bigger than you know the two pizza box rule. This is why you see everyone who's accountable needs to be informed, needs to be consulted in these huge meetings that just end up being used as a way to CYA or cover your behind, which is endemic to legacy and waterfallish cultures. So I want to be very upfront about the fact that the RACI matrix and the questions you can ask to arrive at the RACI matrix can be helpful, but it's not necessarily an agile practice and you should use it sparingly. Beyond the RACI, and if we're talking framework stuff, I think 
uh, frankly, a product document or a working backwards document is the best, number one best tool you can use for a collaboration. You can share the document with all the other disciplines. They can read and comment. You can have an FAQ section. You know, I think I see a lot of, especially smaller features, sometimes getting sort of pushed through without a product document or some kind of documentation. And I think that's where you run into trouble. So as simple as it is, and as silly as it sounds, a product document or a working backwards document, whatever you want to call it, is the number one best tool for collaboration because you can disseminate it, you can get feedback on it, it can change, it's a living document. So just wanted to add that in. Yeah, I wanted to add something to what Angela said. I really agree with what you're saying, especially the example that you gave about like some smaller features not having that due diligence with the product requirement document and what consequences it could have. Yeah, I think uh, it really makes sense to really evaluate the project you're working on, the team members that you're working with, and then making sure that you're still driving that clarity, right? And it doesn't have to be these large meetings with everybody who's in your racy model that, hey, if I have to inform like these 50 people before I push out, especially in like large companies, large teams, you might have these tons of people, tons of SMEs, subject matter experts that you need to make sure they're informed, etc. It doesn't all have to be in a meeting. It can literally just be as simple as following some process that they might have to make sure your feature is release ready. Or it could be something as simple as just sending an email or any async communication saying, hey, this is what's happening. This is why we're doing it. This is what, what it is. And it, that can be in the form of a document, like Angela said. And if anybody has questions, then they should make that effort to reach out to the product team or the feature crew. And if not, then you can assume that at least the people who need to be informed, they are inf informed and they are they don't have any opposition or questions around it. Of course, that can vary. There might be some people that you need to get almost a sign-off from or people who really need to be consulted. So that's why you can have this pyramid of who needs to be informed versus consulted versus accountable. All right. Anybody have anything to add to the debate before we open it up to questions? Kavita, go ahead. Yes, a working backward document is a great tool because primary purpose is what are you building, why are you building, and how would you know that you're successful? But I think we were talking about conflict management. So we have used, yeah, so may I, I don't think this is the be-all and end-all tool, but it's one tool that is available. Because I think when this conflict arises, it's because A, there is lack of clarity, and, you know, you need to be decisive, you need to provide the clarity to the team. And then the bigger thing is then you have to go manage the change. And I think we've used that as a concrete example within my team. So one of the big things about my role, this team was part of what was an internal IT team before. And we've been on a transformation journey on, hey, look, we might be building tools for Microsoft supply chain, but there's a bunch of other companies who need similar tools. And so we want to go tell our story and we want to treat it as if we are building product for supply chain. And so we've been on this transformation journey. And one of the big things was, even as the role of the PM evolved, even as 
the role of the uh, the software engineer evolved we needed some clarity as to who drives various things so for example there's a lot of partner onboarding that we do because we work with manufacturing partners we work with logistic partners and all that so we've used racy as a tool to say look what are the tasks or jobs to be done and who is responsible and accountable and consulted and informed for these things and it has helped immensely in driving the clarity on where does this belong but more than that clarity this was a big cultural shift for the team and so one of the ways we managed that change is to go tell the success story so we would take a pair of pm and engineer where this collaboration was working really well and we'd just do a short like video podcast type thing for the team and go tell share the story and talk about look this has been a journey and this, these are the things that have worked well in our partnership in our collaboration how we've divided up the responsibilities and how we've been successful as a result Kavita, the nuance I love about this conversation is that, you know, the example you've given, you have hundreds of stakeholders that you have to organize and to communicate with. And so using tools like Racy can be very helpful. I think we have also smaller teams where that might not be helpful and and I love that. I love the fact that we are able to have this conversation and highlight the different nuances and what would make sense in one situation and not in another. So totally and I think in a small team frankly, you know, I think to me what's always worked and what's helped me in my career is as a pm you are the primary butt on the line right you lose your sleep over this thing you're the ceo you're the owner of this so you figure out like i jump in wherever there is a need but that's not a scalable solution but that's where i start and then i can drive clarity as to how we need to scale this and who needs to do what and who are the players but yeah in a small team you don't need a formal framework to start with you just jump in speaking of jump in It is time for people to jump in with their questions. So, Sumeya, maybe you could kind of take a look to see who's raising their hand. I'm sadly taking over Red. He's our, my co-host or our co-host. He's here every week except for this week and the previous week and earlier too. Lots of holidays this month. So I'm taking over. He brings the humor. So that means one of you is going to have to make Sumeya laugh. That's usually our goal is to find somebody in the audience who will make Sumeya laugh. The one thing I ask that as you come up on stage, please mute yourself. The other thing I ask is if you want to come on stage, please make sure that you have your profile picture so we can know that you're a real person. And this is a special one time only as I don't care what your profile says if you're trying to get into product management or if you want to learn about product management, we would love to have you here. Red always makes a joke that no dentists or life coaches are allowed because one day a life coach came up here and screamed at uh, Sumeya and I. But to Today and today only. <laughs> Anybody is welcome. We do have a great lineup, Jeff. We have founders and PMs here, so perfect. Good company. Awesome. So my ask too is that we're going to turn to you and ask you to focus a little bit. I know a lot of people want to know about how to get into product management, how to succeed in product management in general. We cover different topics every week, and I'd like to focus this week on either women in product. We're going to welcome any questions about women in product, either the organization or just being a woman in product, or questions about collaborating across disciplines. Before we get to the questions, I got to just do one quick plug. I'm super excited about what we're doing at the Product Management Center uh, here at the University. University of Washington, we have an ambitious goal to empower 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities to get their first product management role by June 2022. And we have a fantastic group of mentors, uh, volunteers, 
and we've already admitted our first cohort into what is called the Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. And I want to acknowledge that Starbucks is generously supporting that Inclusive Product Management Accelerator. They've made public commitments to diversifying their corporate office. They are growing their product teams. You might not have thought of Starbucks for product management, but they are growing their product organization. And they have generously invested in the University of Washington's efforts to make a more diverse and inclusive product management community. So just had to throw that out there. And if you want to get involved and help us in our goal, reach out to me on LinkedIn. It's going to take a village to make sure that we give everybody the knowledge, the connections, and the community of support to get a more diverse and inclusive product management community. So that was a lot of words. Now it's time for Esther. We've seen you before. We've made jokes about the helicopter that you're flying there. And uh, it's great to have you back. What's your question and who's it for? Hey, Jeff. Thank you for bringing me up and great topic on collaborations. My question would be also surrounding collaborations, but more specifically towards the sales organization. So my question is towards more on a product, uh, having collaborations with the sales and the partnership organization. So I think typically what happens is that every sales business leads or partnership channel management when they secure a a customer their customers is always the most important right so then they come to product and says that okay we need to get this integration up and running or we need to we have come up with this fantastic idea for this product and we need to get it up and running so everything comes back right to one funnel of the product line What are your thoughts on best practices that you have seen on how to manage the sales funnels coming in or how to manage the people from the sales teams or the partnership teams that basically deems that all their customers are most important and of strategic value? So if I could just get an answer on from Gitika, I think she's an enterprise. Maybe she could talk about the interface with sales and how do you balance what they claim is, is the most important to closing the deals and versus what you as a PM want to put on your roadmap. Fantastic. Sure thing. Yeah, I, since I work on teams, we have a lot of uh, customers, and especially within uh, since the pandemic has started, we uh, have been growing continuously. And yes, we have a lot of different types of customers with different needs. And again, there's uh, conflicts like you mentioned where uh, there might be uh, sales or other customer partners that might uh, feel that, hey, this is the one thing that you need to do, right? Uh, Through the product team, they might come up and say that. And I think as a product manager, the biggest thing that you can do is to actually know your own customers, right? Know the funnel that your customers are going through when they are coming to your product or your features and what they are doing, why they are there, why are they using your product or why are they using your feature? If you have that clarity around that user journey looks like, right? What are those, their needs, what are their frustrations and what are the pain points that you want to solve, right? Uh, So one thing is knowing having deep knowledge of that. And if you don't have that, you build that up with talking to these customers. All these people who are coming up to you, you say, okay, I want to talk to you customers. I want to find out more, throw the ball back at them and let them help you engage with those customers and actually understand what is the crux of the need. Because sometimes as we've all learned about product, right, users might not actually need what they say they need, right? So it is really important to go back and go back to the drawing board and figure out what is it actually that this user needs. And if you know your customer well enough, you will be able to hopefully also understand how it lines up 
with the typical scenarios that you see, right? And knowing that you should be able to have at least some insight into whether this is something that is, hey, this is going to serve maybe 1% of my customers because they're just not like this. I know my customer profile well enough. Or this is going to serve maybe 90%, and this is a known pain point or something like that. So knowing that distinction. And then also understanding what are your goals for your product, for your feature, right? What is it? Maybe there's some new area uh, right, and that you want to dive into. In, in that case, it could be true that maybe one percent of your users are impacted by this issue or by this area right now. But maybe in the future, you want to acquire new users who might be facing that same issue. So not only knowing what your current user base looks like, but also your future user base, right? What do you want your future user base to look like in the next six months, in the next one year, in the next two years, and then actually working constructively to please those users, making sure that their needs are also satisfied. So it's really looking at the present and the future. All right. Thank you, Esther, for asking a great question. We've got to keep going through questions, but stay up on stage in case we have a chance to get to your second one. A reminder to everybody who's on stage, we are recording this, and this is How to Succeed in Product Management is available on every one of your favorite major podcasting apps and probably a few that aren't major. I don't even know what makes a a podcasting app major or not, but you could find it. So please note that you will be recorded and this will be shared. And Greg, it's your time in the sun here. Hey, thanks so much, Jeff. Thanks, Sumeya. Yeah, I really appreciate you inviting me up. Uh, I'm the founder and CEO of a company called WeBid. We're a seed series startup. We've raised financing and I'm working on building our team now. Our, our startup's focused on transforming the creative economy into a place where creators own their own marketplace and where every creator can thrive. Diversity is really important to me and I'm going through the hiring process now specifically. We, we have a great CTO on board and COO. I've filled out some good roles, but I don't have a good product lead yet. And I'd love your thoughts on like sort of what founders can do to find a great PM in the vein of everything that you guys have been focusing on in the context of this clubhouse. All right. Thank you, Greg. So connecting it to our conversation, Kavita, I think this one might be to you since you've hired I think more PMs than I've ever have. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm just thinking about Greg's question. So I think, Greg, exciting time, I guess, in in your company's life, I guess, trying to find your first PM product leader. So I think for me, biggest thing is really fit, right? And fit is, is fit with the culture. They're the people who really need to be passionate about where you're trying to take your team, where you're trying to take the company. So are they aligned with those goals? Do they have experiences that will help you accelerate towards that goal? And I think that's the key thing. I think you're asking for how do you go about finding one? Can you clarify? Yeah, well, so my experience so far, I've put up an AngelList post with the job application, and I've actually interviewed a bunch of candidates, but it's really been hard for me to find somebody that has experience building a product 
successfully, who's ready to take on a role in a startup and not, Mm -hmm. you know, a major role at Microsoft. Uh, It seems to be kind of scarce. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, given this is a good collaboration between women in product as well, like I would actually say that that's a good source because especially if you're looking for diverse leaders, uh, there is both an executive women in product group, which has more mid to senior career folks, and then the broader women product folks with a product group, which has early in career folks as well. So basically, I think that could be a good resource and you could get in touch with Gitika and we could go figure out getting your role posted on the jobs thing in the newsletter that goes out. That's an option to, for you to go increase your reach. But I think I've found for critical roles, I've actually found that reaching out to my network and asking for referrals and connections, that works best. And so, you know, I, that's what I would recommend in this case. And I want to turn to Sumeya too. And Sumeya, I've got a bit of a question. So Kavita said, focus on somebody who's a good fit. And she said she also starts off with her network. And I think sometimes these approaches are the easiest, but they also run the risk of kind of excluding communities and people from these communities who have historically been marginalized and haven't gotten into these networks. So any thoughts on how Greg and others could start to find diverse talent and in an inclusive way that finds people who are ready to hit the ground running? Yeah, actually... That's a really good point. So to be frank, (laughs) if you are a white male, your network is probably mostly white male. And so if you just leverage your network, you're going to have a hard time achieving your diversity goals. And, And I love, Greg, that you led with that part that diversity was important to you and you really wanted to make sure the product role considers and solves for that as well. So a couple of things, everything Kavita said around the women in product group, they have a job board, definitely take advantage of that. Everyone in this room, you have heard Greg speak. If you are interested, please reach out to him directly. And then the Slack channel of the center at the University of Washington Center for Product Management, there are a lot of PMs there, so reach out there. And, and the PMs on there represent a good, diverse group. And then last but not least, the people you see here who are members of the Weekend Product, I think, for example, Eduardo, a number of others, you can just reach out to them directly even if it's a cold reach out and have them open up their networks. Those are the things I think about. Uh, affinity groups, so generally speaking, are a great place to go to. Alpha, E-L-P-H-A, dot com has a lot of women founders and PMs and others there where if you are focused on the gender specifically, you can find uh, others there too. Those are the things I can think of, Jeff. Thank you so much. And yes, without Red, Red is so excited about the Product Management Center Slack channel. Uh, Here at the University of Washington, it's not just for degree program students, it's for everybody. Red's probably our most enthusiastic supporter, helped us get to almost a thousand product managers and aspiring product managers. And so you could uh, reach out to me on LinkedIn if you want to get access to that Product Management Center Slack channel and post it there. Because I think that's a question that a lot of people have. How do we find people who can collaborate across disciplines and take your organization forward? Uh, Beirouz, you're up next and we've seen you before. This is like uh, reuniting the old favorites. Everybody who comes up here uh, has been here before. What's your question yeah. for our group here? Thank you for having me. Yeah, I think my question goes back to 
a very useful topic that you discussed earlier about the racy matrix and the application of it in collaboration, right? So as a project manager, basically, I'm very much agree with Sumaya on the complexity of using RACI method or RACI matrices, particularly because it takes a lot of work come back and forth identifying the owner of uh, the certain tasks, especially when it's dependent, when these tasks are dependent upstream or downstream. So everybody has a different idea of the ownership and the uh, accountability sometimes. And I noticed that Sumaya mentioned working backward methods. And I would like to know a little bit more about that method because I, to my understanding, that's a sort of ideation method for product management to see if a feature of a product is basically basically worth developing or not. And uh, yeah, so that's maybe I'm wrong, but I would like to know more specific agile approaches that Sumaya um, was talking about in terms of uh, creating similar template or a document to RACI. Perfect. Thank you, Beirut. Thank you. So first I want, Angela, if you want a chance to kind of chime in about how the PRFAQ, which is the Working Backwards, popularized by Amazon, but seems to infect every organization I've talked to in some way or another. Angela, do you mind kind of clarifying that it's more than just whether des- deciding whether to invest in a feature and, and how else it could be used? And then we can get to other parts of that question. Sure, Jeff. Yeah, I want to be clear that sometimes PR FAQs get a bad name. And, you know, sometimes I know there are sort of some myths, especially coming out of Amazon, that you write these PR FAQs, you write, it's like this, you know, 20 page document, it's circulated for six months or a year, and it's sort of where products go to die, right? You write this document and you never produce the feature. You're just basically, you spend all your time writing the document and you never actually actually get to the feature. So I want to be clear that that's not what I'm talking about. I think you can take a really agile approach with a working backwards document. And it's not just, to your question, Baruz, it's not just about establishing the value of the product. You will have sections that talk, you know, you have to A, prove to yourself that this product is worth building. That's step number one, right? And that's why there is some justification in the document and you're justifying to yourself and to everyone else, what is the potential value here for the customer, for the business? But then an extension of the document is really more about the piece you're talking about, the agile approach, potentially product requirements, dependencies. And I think the value of it is that it it can be, it is living. So as all of your collaborators have questions, you add those into the doc and then you add an answer to it. So it serves as a way to really skill yourself as a PM, the more collaborators you have. I think Sumeya actually wants to get to concluding thoughts before she leaves. Am I right? You got it. I think, so what I, in the early days, 
you might, you know, use tools that help you communicate better. You might use documents that help you communicate better. But there are so many exceptions that if you don't pay attention to them, if you, for example, you can do a meeting and communicate the expectations around a product to everyone on the team and they all agree and they're like, yeah, we're going to go do it. And then the next day, someone comes up comes out of the woodwork and they are disagreeing and they want to talk more about it. And so how do you handle those exceptions that can derail momentum, that can create friction where, you know, you don't really need it? I think those are really important lessons to learn from and things to pay attention to. And this is where, you know, learning how to deal, manage, collaborate, manage up and down becomes important. We didn't talk a lot about those tools, everything from patience and understanding and different communication styles and all of that, but it's really important. All right, Sumeya, thank you for concluding thoughts. Thank you for being here every week on how to succeed in product management. It's always a joy to have you sharing valuable insights after valuable insights. Nishant, we have a challenge for you. Can you get your question out in 20 seconds or less and get it answered in 30 seconds or less? Go. Hey, Jeff. Thanks a lot. So as uh, you know, Gitika mentioned that product manager is uh, responsible for running a circus. I'll say more it's on a musical term, it's like running an orchestra. So my question is about collaboration. And the question is, what is the importance of the domain knowledge on collaboration? As Kavita mentioned, you know, we need to collaborate with finance, legal, marketing, various, you know, departments. So do PM need extensive knowledge on these topics or it's just, you know, you learn as you go? Wonderful question, Ashant, in under 20 seconds or less. And now it's time for Gitiga to tell us uh, as fast as she can. What do you think? Domain knowledge, do you need it? Awesome. Yeah, I mean, I think it's almost impossible to expect someone to develop domain knowledge in all of these areas. There's like 30 different areas that we had mentioned at the beginning of the session, right? That number of disciplines that you work with. But I think the most important thing that I can say is to develop this curiosity, to actually genuinely be curious about what the other person's other role that you're collaborating with, what are their priorities, what are their expectations, just being curious at the beginning of your relationship with them and understanding that and having, and I'm sure they will reciprocate that as a relationship as well. And they will be curious about what your side of the things is from a user perspective, right? Because as a product manager, you are the one who's bringing that user perspective. Um, So yeah, just be curious, Uh, short answer, just be very curious and always make sure that you're learning from different people. There's lots to learn. All right. Thank you. Good answer. Good question. And now we're to our last guest here. A a reminder that it's being recorded and a reminder that we had a challenge. Who could make Sumeya laugh? And now we'll have to substitute who could make one of our other panelists laugh since Sumeya had to go. So Shira, can you make somebody laugh and get an informative question out there in 30 seconds or less? Go. Hi. So my question is for Kavita. I'd like to know, particularly as a woman, how you deal with some of the conflicts you might get from people who are like, who are you to mess with my product? I've been dealing with this product all along and here you come. So do you just smash them in the face with a Boston cream pie or put a whoopee cushion under their, on their chair at work? What do you do? You got me to laugh. That counts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the laughing part is accomplished. So uh, good job, Shira. Uh, 
you know, I think you'll you'll always find difficult people when you're working with so many people and over the span of your career. And I think my thing is really like what Michelle Obama said, right? When they go low, you go high. So I think you really need to figure out how you're going to deal with that situation. Because at the end of the day, again, I think if the role is clear, what is your role and your responsibilities are clear, I think you need to stick to stick to the facts, stick to what the customer wants and what's the right thing to do. And just try to manage the emotion out of it by sticking to the facts. And sometimes that's not possible because there are people that are hard to work with. And, I, you know, in those cases, I've had built over my career, I've built a very direct personality. In the earlier days, I would feel very intimidated in these situations and not know what to do. Seek out, either be quiet or seek out other people to go help be my ally. But I think now I have enough experience and confidence to speak for myself. And if uh, one of the strategies that always helps me is just taking the person one-on-one offline and say, hey, this is the situation. This is how you are behaving and this is the impact it's having on me. And so again, it's a very structured conversation as opposed to, you know, blaming the and giving them benefit of the doubt and saying, look, maybe it's not intentional. Maybe, you know, you didn't mean this at all, but this is how I am perceiving it and perceptions are real. And so I think making people realize that they're behaving in a certain way, making them aware of their blind spot is typically a good first step to making them realize what they need to do. But I think you do need to, you know, A, get allies, speak up, reach out one-on-one, but B, focused on the facts and focus on the customer because as a PM, you're the champion of the customer. Thank you for that. I guess we could always keep the Boston cream pie as a backup. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, excellent, Shara. Thank you for a good question and also for getting that laugh in before it was too late, uh, just in time for the buzzer there. We're about out of time, and I want to make sure that you get an opportunity, uh, all the listeners out there, to get some bite-sized takeaways. What was it that uh, the three of our panelists that are here left, what do they want you to take away from our conversation about collaborating with other disciplines? I'm going to start in reverse order of how we introduce them. Angela, what do you hope people take away from this conversation? Concluding thoughts. Sure. Something actually that we didn't get to, but something to think about is is really understanding the biases of any single discipline that you're working with. So then when you're working with engineers, understanding what their biases are, when you're working with execs and C-suite, understanding what their biases are, I think that can be very helpful as you're negotiating with all of the various disciplines. And I think that came up before in terms of being able to context switch depending on with whom you're working. All right. And now Gitiga, Women in Product, Seattle chapter lead, who helped create this collaboration between Women in Product and the Product Management Center at the University of Washington. Concluding thoughts for the group here. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Yeah, I think concluding thoughts for me is one thing I'd like you to take away from our discussion today. It would be to just be curious when you are working with other people and just be humble and also just recognize that they are humans as well. I really liked what Kavita said. There's sometimes if someone is not collaborating in the way that you expect them to, just have a conversation with them. You know, just ask them, hey, do you want to get lunch together? Just uh, Do you want to talk about this? Just r- really get to understand them. They are also humans. So just keeping that lens be helpful. All right. Thank you. And then Kavita, you are on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center. Been here from day one, sharing insight after insight through the Foster the Product series, through one of the most popular episodes of How to Succeed in Product Management. 
Sorry, I could sing your praises all day, but they want to hear from you. What's your concluding thoughts? I think communication is, uh, like Angela talked about, there's so many different people that you work with. Knowing how you communicate with different personalities, with different you know, folks that like different level of detail, folks that have different level of context, and still driving the clarity for them is, I think, one of the best things that you can do as product manager working with other people. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening today. I have some concluding thoughts for you. One is the University of Washington, the the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington. We want to help you drive success. We want to enrich the lives of product managers. And one way we think that's critical to doing that is to develop innovations that are inclusive to diverse audiences. And so as you're thinking about collaboration and how do you collaborate across disciplines, think about your internal biases, not just around the different job functions and disciplines, but also just the various factors uh, that affect how you process information and really try to think about how could you be inclusive in bringing in the voices that can add value to the product. So finance, legal, product designers, how do you overcome your biases and how do you include their voices to get to the best answer, uh, not just the answer of the person that you might like or the person that you might want to hang out with or have a beer with. So that's what I'd like to leave you with in terms of collaboration. And I also want to leave you with, again, appreciation that you listened here today and that you're here every single week uh, as we have How to Succeed in Product Management. We're here Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. And then we put out How to Succeed in Product Management as a podcast, which you could download anywhere that you download your favorite podcast. And I have to thank Starbucks because I'm so grateful that Starbucks is investing in a more diverse and inclusive product management community. Uh, Starbucks is uh, generously supporting the University of Washington's effort to empower 100 early career professionals from historically marginalized communities to get their first product management role by June 2022. If you're jealous of Starbucks and want to hear your name in lights here, come reach out to me because we're looking for more corporate sponsors because we're going to need to place 100 fantastic future product leaders and we want to help place them in places that are investing in inclusive spaces where diverse talent can thrive. And even if you're in a company that can't necessarily sponsor this and uh, invest in that, we would like to you to meet these fantastic uh, future product leaders. We've already have 46 in our future cohort. We could use volunteers. We could use uh, all the help we can get to make sure that they have a community of support, the knowledge, and the connections to get a job and succeed in that job. So, Gitika, one more time, let's conclude with you. If somebody's loved hearing from the women in product here on today's stage and they want to get involved with what you're doing, how can they support women in product or how can they get involved with what you're doing? Definitely. Thank you. Yeah. So, if you're interested in women in product, just go to www.womenpm.org. We have 27 chapters, like I said, and wherever you are in the world, actually, it's a global community. I'm sure there's a chapter nearby. And since we've all been virtual in the last year or two, there's so many virtual events happening, a lot of networking, a lot of positive energy being created online. So be sure to join in on the fun. All right. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for the collaboration. We'll hopefully do this again and bring you another perspective and collaboration among the Product Management Center at the University of Washington and Women in Product as both organizations are working to uh, develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. We want to enrich your life. So help us help you. Stay in touch. Join the Product Management Center Slack channel. Connect with Women in Product and uh, develop innovations that uh, are inclusive to diverse audiences. Thank you all for being here. Thank you to our wonderful panelists. Really appreciated your perspectives. And I hope to see everybody or hear everybody next week.